I used to actually be a substitute teacher. Um, and I hope you're not going to treat this substitute teacher like my kids at school treat their substitute teachers. I actually used to substitute teachers. I used to love being a sub-teacher because um, you got to do all the fun stuff and you had none of the responsibility of the outcomes for the kids. Um, so we're going to do something different today. And the Bible actually tells us not to give up on the public reading of Scripture. Of scripture. In 1 Timothy 4.13, Paul's writing to Timothy and he says, Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to preaching and to teaching. And often we do a lot of preaching and teaching in the church, but we don't always do a lot of public reading of Scripture. So that's what we're going to do today. We're going to publicly read the Scripture. And what's interesting, to me at least, is that the majority of the New Testament books, as we call them, are actually letters written by church leaders to churches at the time. So there might be a church in, let's say, Handsworth, and there's a church leader over Birmingham, and they write to the church at Handsworth saying, we're seeing these great things, a little bit concerned about this. Praise God, looking forward to meeting you again soon. So that's how the early churches worked, and that's actually a lot of our scripture today. And what would happen to these letters is the church in Handsworth or wherever would get this letter and would go, oh, wow, this is fantastic. We, we hold this as valuable. What we're going to do is going to make a photocopy of it and send it to the church down the road. And what would happen then is the church down the road would get the letter and go, oh, wow, we've got a letter. It was originally to the Handsworth church, but it's, you know, it kind of applies to us as well. And they'd read out the letter in the public congregation. And that's what we're going to do today. We're going to read out a letter of the Bible. And we meet today on a Sunday as opposed to a Saturday because that was an early church tradition passed on to us. And this also is an early church tradition of reading out the letters addressed to the church together. One that perhaps has been a little bit forgotten. And if this goes awful and you're all sleeping towards the end of the letter, we know why. Okay. Um, so we're going to be looking at 2 Peter today. So if you've got a Bible, please get it out. I've even got some prepared here, one I made earlier. Blue Peter style. So if you've got a Bible on your phone, if you want to come up and if you come and get one, I'm not going to think you're a heathen because you forgot your Bible, it's okay. Maybe you can share one. We're going to be looking at 2 Peter. And um, what we're going to do is we're going to read it through once, we're going to explore the context, and we're going to read it through again. Um, and the reason why we're picking 2 Peter is because it's short. <laughs> I said to myself, oh, it would be good to do a book which is 10 minutes long, and there's only one Bible book that takes you 10 minutes exactly to read, and that's Second Peter. But yeah, our niece, actually, little Esme, she's learning to read at the moment, and I was reading with her the other day, and I can see that though she can read the words, she'll read them all correctly in the sentence, and she'll completely forget what the sentence is about. Now, I think we, I, can do that as well. I can read the verses and I can forget what the chapter was about. I can read the, the sentence, but I forget actually what's the, what's the paragraph communicating. We can know the memory verse, but forget what the scripture is teaching. So as we read, my encouragement to you is to open your hearts to the Lord, to ask to hear from him. He may highlight a, a certain verse, a word, a sentence, an idea, a theme, a paragraph. I'm going to encourage you to let the Holy Spirit speak to you because God's word is inexhaustible. Are we ready? Yes. <laughs> I, I mean, I'm not going to pick on people to read out because... Yeah, yeah okay. If you want to read out. 
But I'm going to read it out, reading from the NIV because it's one of the most readable versions if you want to follow along. That's great, it's on the board. Does it need to be bigger? Hands up for bigger. Okay, we're going to have it. Gigantic size. We're gonna... Oh no, it doesn't go any bigger. <laughs> okay, let's go for it. So, three chapters, by the way, I'm going to prepare you. Three chapters, ten minutes to read. This is a book, Simon Peter, writing to the churches in Asia, 1 Peter 2, second book that he wrote. Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who through the righteousness of our God and Saviour Jesus Christ have received a faith as precious as ours, grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and, our, and of Jesus our Lord. You're going to hear how bad I am at reading now. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. For this reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge and to knowledge self-control and to self-control perseverance and to perseverance godliness and to godliness mutual affection and to mutual affection love for if you possess these qualities in increasing measure they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our lord jesus christ well, whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins Therefore, my brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election. For if you do these things, you will never stumble, and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. So I will always remind you of these things, even though you know them and are firmly established in the truth you now have. I think it is right to refresh your memory as long as I live in this tent, in the tent of this body, because I know that I will soon put it aside as our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. And I will make every effort to see that after my departure you will always be able to remember these things. For we did not follow cleverly devised stories when we told you about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in power, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. He received honour and glory from the Father when the voice came to him from a majestic glory saying, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain. We also have a prophetic message as something completely reliable and you will do well to pay attention to it as to a light shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. For prophecy never had its origin in the human will, but prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. But there were also false prophets among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. They will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the sovereign Lord who bought them. 
bringing swift destruction on themselves. Many will follow their depraved conduct and will bring the way of truth into disrepute. In their greed, these teachers will exploit you with fabricated stories. Their condemnation has long been hanging over them and their destruction has not been sleeping. For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but sent them to hell, putting them in chains of darkness to be held for judgment, if he did not spare the ancient world when he brought the flood on its ungodly people, but protected Noah, a preacher of righteousness and seven others, if he condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah by burning them to ashes and made them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly, and if he rescued Lot, a righteous man who was distressed by the depraved conduct of a lawless, for that righteous man living among them day after day was tormented in his righteous soul by the lawless deeds he saw and heard. If this is so, then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to hold the unrighteous for punishment on the day of judgment. This is especially true of those who follow the corrupt desire of the flesh and despise authority. Bold and arrogant, they are not afraid to heap abuse on celestial beings. Yet even angels, although they are stronger and more powerful, do not heap abuse on such beings when bringing judgment on them from the Lord. But these people blaspheme in matters they do not understand. They are like unreasoning animals, creatures of instinct, born only to be caught and destroyed. And like animals, they too will perish. They will be paid back with harm for the harm they have done. Their idea of pleasure is to carouse, wow, what a word, carouse in broad daylight. They are blots and blemishes, revealing, reveling in their pleasures whilst they feast with you. With eyes full of adultery, they never stop sinning. They seduce the unstable. They are experts in greed and a cursed brood. They have left the straight way and wandered off to follow the way of Balaam, son of Bezer. But he was rebuked for his wrongdoing by a donkey, an animal without speech, who spoke with a human voice and restrained the prophet's madness. These people are springs without water and mists driven by a storm. Blackest darkness is reserved for them, for they mouth empty, boastful words, and by appealing to the lustful desires of the flesh, they entice people who are just escaping from those who live in error. They promise them freedom while they themselves are slaves of depravity, for people are slaves to whatever has mastered them. If they have escaped the corruption of a world by knowing our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ and again entangled in it and are overcome, they are worse off at the end than they were at the beginning. It would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than to have known it and then turn their backs on the sacred command that was passed on to them. Of them the proverbs are true. A dog returns to its vomit, and a sow that has washed returns to her wallowing in the mud. I'm going to pause right now and say, the teacher in me really wants to expand on all these ideas, but we're going to continue. Dear friends, this is now my second letter to you. I have written both of them as reminders to stimulate you to wholesome thinking. I want you to recall the words spoken in the past by the holy prophets and the command given by our Lord and Saviour through your apostles. Above all, you must understand that in their last days, scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say, where is this coming, he promised. Ever since our ancestors died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. But they deliberately forget that long ago, by God's word, the heavens came into being and the earth was formed out of water and by water. By these waters also the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. By that same word, 
The present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar, the elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. So then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless and at peace with him. Bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation, just as our dear brother Paul also wrote you, I always feel like there should be a wrote to you, but it is grammatically correct, wrote you, with a wisdom that God gave him. He writes the same way in all his letters, speaking in them of these matters. His letters contain some things that are hard to understand, which ignorant and unstable people to their own destruction. Therefore, dear friends, since you have been forewarned, be on your guard so that you may not be carried away by the error of a lawless and fall from your secure position. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory, both now and forever. Amen. 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 Still got 35 minutes. No, I won't keep you that long. Um, at this point, I'd like to ask questions, but I'm, I'm going to resist it. Um, so this letter was written by Peter. He was in Rome under arrest, and he knew he was dying soon. He knew the Lord had said to him, it's going to be your time soon. And this was Peter, the disciple, the one who'd seen Jesus live and die and resurrect. He'd eaten with him. He'd lived with him. And Peter's right into the churches in the Asia Minor, so kind of the Turkey area, to deal with the issues that the churches were struggling with today. It may not be what we're struggling with today. The letter from Peter or, or from the Holy Spirit might be a different letter today. Natalie's telling me to stop moving because it could make a beat there. So we'd heard reports of false teachers in the churches and their ungodly lives were poisoning what the churches were supposed to be. And he affirms in the letter the, the power of scripture, the power of the, the prophets and sticking true to what God has said and how that will result in godly growth. And in this letter, perhaps you can see something of the global church. I don't know if you've looked to, to, to different let's say, parts of a church and found some really distorted false teaching. Teaching which encourages the lusts of the flesh. Perhaps there's something that you feel that God is speaking to our local church here. Perhaps your own walk with God. What we're going to do now is we're going to watch a video. Nice break for you from my voice. And this video is by some guys called The Bible Project. Ever heard of them? Hands up if you've heard of a Bible project. Well, it's going to be all of you by the end of today. Yes, yes, and yes. The Bible project 
I, I love their work. I really do. Um, they're based in the US. I was going to tell you which part of the US, but I'm not going to get that wrong. Um, and they create incredibly... <laughs> Liam loves the Bible Project, and I don't blame him. Um, they've got some really good videos, and this guy, or these two guys, actually are going to explain a bit about the, the context of 2 Peter, and he's actually going to break it down in terms of its structure. So let's... The second letter of Peter is addressed to the same network of churches as Peter's first letter, and is likely written from the same location in Rome. Peter's become aware of the fact that he's going to die soon, and the evidence that we have from early tradition was that Peter was executed by the Roman authorities during the reign of Emperor Nero. And so this letter acts as Peter's farewell speech. He begins by offering a final challenge, that Jesus' followers must be people who never stop growing. And then this is followed by two final warnings about a growing number of corrupt teachers who are leading Christians in these church communities astray. First, by their corrupt way of life, and second, by their distorted theology. Throughout the letter, Peter is countering accusations made by these teachers against himself and the other apostles. And Peter's goal is to restore confidence and order to these church communities. So Peter opens by reminding these churches that through Jesus, God has invited people to become a participant in his own divine nature. That is, to share in God's own eternal life and love, which is mind-blowing. And it requires a lifelong response. To receive this gift means a commitment to developing the same character traits that mark God's own divine nature. Peter lists here seven traits to strive for. And the final one encompasses and crowns all of the others, it's love. Which according to Jesus means devoting oneself to the well-being of others, no matter their response or the cost. To love, according to Peter, is to share in God's own life. Peter then states the letter's purpose. It's going to act as a memorial of his teaching that can be passed on to later generations because he's not going to be around to give it much longer in person. So before he dies, he wants to address these objections and accusations being made by the teachers who distort Jesus' teaching and that of the apostles. So Peter first addresses an accusation repeated by the skeptics present and future. Namely, that he and the apostles just made up all of this stuff about Jesus being risen from the dead and king of the world. Jesus isn't really going to come back one day. So Peter offers his eyewitness testimony of the powerful moment of Jesus' transformation on the mountain. Remember the story in Mark chapter 9. The apostles saw Jesus exalted as king. And his resurrection means that he's alive as king and will return to rescue our world one day. And so the future return of Jesus to bring God's kingdom, this will fulfill what all the ancient scriptures have been pointing to all along. The words of the Old Testament prophets, they're not fabricated fantasies. Rather, through these human words of scripture and through the human Jesus, God himself has spoken to us. Peter then moves on to address the threats raised by corrupt leaders in the church, and he focuses on more objections that they raise. So first, these teachers deny the idea of a final reckoning, when God's going to hold all people accountable for their choices. And this denial is what conveniently allows the teachers to ignore Jesus' teaching about money and sex, because they're making tons of profit by teaching in the churches, not to mention the fact that they're sleeping around. But Peter reminds the readers that God can and will meet rebellion with his justice. 
He recalls three ancient examples when God did this. He first mentions the story about the sons of God in Genesis 6, as it was interpreted in a popular Jewish work of the time called First Enoch. First Enoch says the sons of God are rebellious angels who crossed the line and slept with women, earning God's judgment. Peter then brings up the story of the ancient flood and then the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. In each case, there was a rebellion that led to divine judgment. But, Peter says, God was always faithful to deliver his people and he uses the story of Lot to provide an example. Peter then connects these ancient stories to the teacher's corrupt way of life. They too are after money and sex, they despise God's authority, and they lead other people to think that God doesn't care about moral decisions. He says they teach a message of Christian freedom and use it as a license to do whatever they want. This is why Peter's going to bring up Paul's letters later on in chapter 3. It appears that these teachers have distorted Paul's message of liberation in Christ. But that's not the kind of freedom Paul meant. And Peter makes clear that these teachers are not really free. In reality, they're slaves to their bodily impulses. And the fact that they're Christians makes it even more tragic because knowing Jesus' teaching makes them doubly accountable. They have become pitiful examples of the ancient proverb about a dog returning to its vomit and a washed pig going back to the mud. Peter then addresses the reasoning behind the teacher's denial of the final reckoning. They say generations have got out seeing the fulfillment of their hopes. Where is this promised return of Jesus? Peter responds by showing how short-sighted this objection is. Look around, he says, at this remarkable universe that we inhabit. The fact that we exist at all means that at some moment in the past, God's word intervened in a dramatic way to bring something out of nothing and to bring order out of chaos, and he can do so again. And so the real question is, why is God taking so long? But Peter reminds us that our human conception of time is extremely limited. The long expanses of time through which God works don't fit neatly into the framework of our very short lives. These long amounts of time are actually a sign of God's patience, because each generation is offered the chance to recognize its own selfishness, to humble itself, and repent before God's generous grace. And God's grace will bring the story to a close on the day of the Lord. Here Peter draws upon the prophetic poetry of Isaiah and Zephaniah, who describe the day of God's justice as a consuming fire. Peter says, the heavens will pass away and the stoicheia will melt by fire. This is a Greek word that could refer to the elements, in which case it means the dissolution of the material universe, or more likely, it refers to heavenly bodies, in other words, the stars. That's what this word means in Isaiah chapter 34, where Peter is quoting from. And in that case, this line is a metaphor about the sky being peeled back, so to speak, before the God who sees all. And so this is why Peter says the day of the Lord will result in the earth and all its works being exposed. The ultimate purpose of God's consuming justice is not to scrap the material universe. Rather, it's to expose evil and injustice and remove it so that a new kind of heavens and earth can emerge, one that is permeated with righteousness, full of God's love and people who know and love God and love their neighbor as themselves. Peter concludes by saying this is the true Christian hope that Jesus and all the apostles have been announcing, including Paul, whose writings can be misunderstood if you rip them out of context, but all the apostles are on the same page. And so Peter ends his final address to the church.
Now the tone of 2 Peter, it feels really intense, but his passion comes from a firm conviction that God loves this world and he's determined to rescue it through Jesus. And so this means that God's love must confront and deal with the sin and injustice that ruins his beloved world. And in God's own time, he will do so, opening up a new future for humanity and for the universe itself. And so 2 Peter has a wide, expansive vision of hope for the whole world, and it challenges us to examine our everyday lives. That's what the second letter of Peter is all about. Yeah, clap. Yes, Mike. I think that's incredible, don't you? There's a lot. Absolutely, there's a lot going on. What I have done is I have printed these. They're free and available online, and they've got one for every single book. Isn't that incredible? I think, as I said with my niece, Esme, she can read the words of a sentence, but she's completely forgot the, she's forgot the story. She doesn't know what's going on. I think that actually our devotional way of reading the Bible, which is good and blessed, I'm not even speaking into the microphone, am I? Which is good and blessed, actually doesn't always give us an understanding of what the whole scripture is saying. And in the book of Second Peter, we get the whole gospel there. And I don't know if you've seen it, as I said, we might not feel that we're under attack as Hope Church by false teachers, but I'm sure you've heard the teaching that actually all will be saved, that there'll be, you know, there's, there's no judgment, but actually it doesn't matter what you do because as long as you've prayed a prayer, you're good. And actually, Peter, again, this is a person who was so close to Jesus, who knew Jesus' words, who had memorized them, he says, actually, that's not true. And we've got to make sure we hold fast to the truth. So it's called The Bible Project. I really recommend it. If you want to get into your scripture more, that eight-minute video, you know, that, that was shorter than the whole book, which is incredible. But it's, it's a great resource to put alongside your daily reading. So there's a, a few themes in Second Peter to focus on. Theme one, we are participants in the divine nature. That's beautiful. That doesn't mean that we become God, but it means that actually we are participating in who God is. And therefore, we should be like God in terms of his moral righteousness. Now, we all fail at that miserably, I'm sure. But actually, it's about striving towards that, knowing that he's patient and kind and loving and not just giving up on it, going, oh, I'm human. Forget it. It doesn't matter if I do those things, you know, God, God understands. He does understand and he understands that he wants you to become part of his divine nature. So we keep going. We keep being productive and fruitful. Another theme is that Jesus fulfilled the prophetic scriptures and they have value for us today. There will be a final reckoning. I chose to Peter because when I read through it, I said, to myself, I don't want to teach on this. <laughs> it's, it's not positive. This is not what I, I, I like. However, there is the truth. It's undeniable in Scripture. There are Christians and believers who say, actually, now nah, there's, there's not really, like, a, there's not a judgment. And we was actually at, um, was at a baptism of a friend of Natalie's. She's the, the godmother. It's a Catholic baptism. And because she's not, like, a Catholic, she wasn't allowed to be the godmother. She was a witness. But she's the real godmother. And I'm not going to say it was a sham because it was a lovely time, but like it was a sort of a lapsed Catholic mother, an atheist Jewish father, and Natalie, like, I'm going to look after this child. Um, why do I mention that? Oh, because they asked us, what do you believe about hell? 
Like in there, and it's, it's not necessarily the nicest question, and I don't have it all settled, I don't have it all sorted, but it's undeniable in scripture that God judges, punishes, and saves. And that's what Peter's saying. You, know, you might not like it, but God always provides a way of escape for his righteous people, those called to him. Um, the false teachers are shown by their false lifestyle. That's a big theme there. It's a big theme. We've got some friends who explore Christianity and they're exploring these certain teachers and, and they'll send me on Instagram this teacher that they're interested in. I'm looking at their lifestyle. I'm saying, Lord, please no. Because that is, that is not what we see in Jesus. A lust, a desire for money, a desire for, for this and that and gaining and gaining. And when, when the teacher's actively promoting that, you know you need to step away. The final theme is that the earth will be recreated. It's beautiful. A new heaven and a new earth. The old will be torn away so that the reality behind it is exposed and that there will be a new heaven and new earth. Do you feel suitably prepped now to reread Second Peter and pick up those themes? Go on, Natalie, what have you got to say? Put it on the audio if I want to. Who would like to hear the audio? If you want. So that you don't hear my voice. Let's listen to it. It might be awkward and wooden. Simon Peter. Yeah, that's, that's not going to work, is it? Okay, I'm going to read it through. Unless we've got a volunteer. No. Okay. 2 Peter 1. Please feel free to find it if you like. Actually, I'm going to put these down here. If you want one of these sheets, please feel free to come up and get it. Okay? So you can follow it through. I'm trying to treat, treat this like I would one of my lessons, and usually I don't get a second of silence, like this is different for me. Depending on how well this goes, you might not have me as a substitute teacher again. But I think, you know, God's word is great. And, you know, I think there's a quote from Spurgeon, and it says, if there's no Jesus in your preaching, stop preaching. <clears throat> and I, I love that, you know. You guys, we come here, we listen to someone talk, and it's got to be about God, and the scriptures point directly to him in truth. There's no error in them. Thank you, Natalie and Simon. I'll give you um, some achievement points later. Phone your parents. Okay. Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who through the righteousness of our God and Saviour Jesus Christ have received a faith as precious as ours. Grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life, life through our knowledge of him. Who, thank you, Ben. I'm going to start that paragraph again. Or oh, do you want another one? Okay. His divine power has given 
us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. For this reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness knowledge, and to knowledge self-control, and to self-control perseverance, and to perseverance godliness, and to godliness mutual affection. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election. For if you do these things, you will never stumble and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Saviour. Jesus Christ. So I will always remind you of these things, even though you know them and are firmly established in the truth you now have. I think it is right to refresh your memory as long as I live in the tent of this body, because I know that I will soon put it aside as our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. And I'll make every effort to see that after my departure, you will always be able to remember these things. For we did not follow cleverly devised stories when we told you about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in power, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. He received honour and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from a majestic glory saying, This is my son whom I love, with him I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain. We also have the prophetic message as something completely reliable and you will do well to pay attention to it as to a light shining in a dark place until the day dawns and, your, and the morning star rises in your hearts. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. For prophecy never had its origin in the human will, but prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. But there were also false prophets among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. They will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the sovereign Lord who bought them, bringing swift destruction on themselves. Many will follow their depraved conduct and will bring the way of truth into disrepute. In their greed, these teachers will exploit you with fabricated stories. Their condemnation has been long hanging over them and their destruction has not been sleeping. For if God did not spare angels when they sinned but sent them to hell, putting them in chains of darkness to be held for judgment, if he did not spare the ancient world when he brought the flood on its ungodly people but protected Noah, a preacher of righteousness and seven others, if he condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah by burning them to ashes and made them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly, and if he rescued Lot, a righteous man who is distressed by the depraved conduct of a lawless, for that righteous man living among them day after day was tormented in his righteous soul by the lawless deeds he saw and heard. If this is so, then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to hold the unrighteous for punishment on the day of judgment. This is especially true of those who follow the corrupt desire of the flesh and despise authority. Bold and arrogant, they are not afraid to heap abuse on celestial beings, yet even angels, although they are stronger and more powerful, do not heap abuse on such beings when bringing judgment on them from the Lord. 
But these people blaspheme in matters they do not understand. They are like unreasoning animals, creatures of instinct, born only to be caught and destroyed, and like animals they too will perish. They will be paid back with harm for the harm they have done. Their idea of pleasure is to carouse in broad daylight. They are blots and blemishes, reveling in their pleasures whilst, while they feast with you. With eyes full of adultery, they never stop sinning. They seduce the unstable, they are experts in greed. They have left the straight way and wandered off to follow the way of Balaam, son of Bezer, who loved the wages of wickedness. But he was rebuked for his wrongdoing by a donkey, an animal without speech, who spoke with a human voice and restrained the prophet's madness. These people are springs without water and mists driven by a storm. Blackest darkness is reserved for them, for they mouth empty boastful words, and by appealing to the lustful desires of the flesh, they entice people who are just escaping from those who live in error. They promise them freedom, while they themselves are slaves of depravity, for people are slaves to whatever has mastered them. If they have escaped the corruption of the world by knowing our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ, and are again entangled in it, and are overcome, they are worse off at the end than they were at the beginning. It would, not, it would have been better for them to not have known the way of righteousness than to have known it and turned their backs on the sacred command that was passed on to them. Of them the proverbs are true. A dog returns to its vomit and a sow or pig that is washed returns to her wallowing in the mud. Dear friends, this is now my second letter to you. I have written both of them as reminders to stimulate you to wholesome thinking I want you to recall the words spoken in the past by the holy prophets and the command given by our Lord and Saviour through your apostles. Above all, you must understand that in the last days scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say, where is this coming, he promised. Ever since our ancestors died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. But they deliberately forget that it came into being and the earth was formed out of water and by water. By these waters also the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. By, that same word, by the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But do not forget this one thing, thing dear friends. With the Lord a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar, the elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? That's great, isn't it? I'm going to pause there. I said I won't interrupt the Bible, but I am, sorry. That is almost like a tagline for Second Peter. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. So then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. Bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation, just as our dear Paul also wrote with you with the wisdom that God gave him. 
He writes the same way in all his letters, speaking in them of these matters. His letters contain some things that are hard to understand, amen, which ignorant and unstable people distort as they do the other scriptures to their own destruction. Therefore, dear friends, since you've been forewarned, be on your guard so that you may not be carried away with the error of a lawless and fall from your secure position. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. Amen. So I'm not going to say much more. Um, but again, the key themes. Please feel free to you know, take that home with you. My encouragement now would be in your own time, in your devotional time, reread Second Peter and say, Lord, is there something here that you have for me? Is there something that you're telling me, something that you want to stir me on? And the purpose of all this is that we may not be fruitless, that we may continue producing fruit in our Lord Jesus Christ. So I'm going to pray, and unless there's any other business, we're good. So Lord God, we thank you for your word. We pray that you would implant your word in our heart, Lord. And as a church, as Hope Church today, we hear your word. We hear the letter written by Peter to the churches, Lord. And we want to be receptive to you. We want to know you, to love you, to grow in you, Lord, and to hold fast to your right teaching. Help us to shun lies, wickedness, and know, Lord, that you will return, that we are your children, and that you have kept us, Lord, and we are participants in your divine nature. Give us the strength, Lord, to live like that, knowing that you always provide a means of escape for your saints. Amen. Amen. Amen.